Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians? This wonderful letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, the areas of Greece. Church was started by Paul and Timothy when they were next to the riverside and they came across some ladies and they started to preach the gospel and these ladies gathered together as they did on Friday night here at Lyft and God sparked something wonderful that Paul is writing into which is called the church at Philippi. This church was of tremendous benefit to the gospel spreading to different parts of Europe at that time. Paul was instrumental in seeing the gospel touch the lives of people, but as Jenny mentioned, that any success that we gain is because of people. It is because of teamwork. And Paul, in this wonderful letter, speaks about Timothy and Epaphroditus, He names a number of more people as you read the letter of Philippi and you realize that when anything is accomplished in God's kingdom, it is because of people, plurality. Not an individual, but plurality. And we see it so clearly here portrayed within the scripture. So Paul is in jail. He is chained to a prison guard, a different one every day, and he uses this opportunity that God has given to him not to mope, not to throw a pity party, but he uses it to expose them to the person that radically changed his life, and the person's name is Jesus. And he tells them the good story, the true story, about a God who loved mankind so much that he came to them and pitched his tent, as it were, amongst them and reached out to them that maybe some of them would see him and that they would believe in him as the savior of the world. And this is the wonderful story that Paul tells within the book of Philippi. And, um, and he's hoping that at Philippi, that the gospel would spread because you see, Paul was in Rome, he was in prison in Rome, and um, through God's divine providence, that means his hand divinely moved uh, for Paul to go to Rome, which was his greatest desire, but it was in the form of persecution. And as he landed up in Rome, he said, you know, I'm hoping that the gospel would touch many people because for Paul, it was true that all roads would lead to Rome eventually. And if the gospel was alive within that place, then people would encounter Jesus. Do you just pick up the passion of this man's heart? And um, our desire here is that Zug would be a place like Paul desired for Rome, that as people come here, that they would meet this wonderful God 
who is able to change our lives around. And he's changed many of our lives around and we're trusting that God would do much more. And so this is the context of this letter. But as in life, as we look at the story of Paul being in prison in Rome and writing this letter to the church at Philippi, he writes about this glorious gospel. And the theme that we've embarked on is simply that um, Paul lived for the praise of his name and for the glory of God. That was his absolute passion. That his life, everything he did, focused on that. And that's the great theme of the book of Philippians. And as he's living this out, we see that there are always certain problems that do occur. And Paul addresses these problems too because we live in a real world. And we pick up one of the problems that he is speaking about here in Philippians chapter three, verses one to 14. And I would like us to read that passage, please, together. Verse one of Philippians chapter three. And I hope those of you at home who's following us online would have your Bibles ready so that you can read together with us. This is what verse one says, further my brothers and sisters, and this is one of the themes in the book of Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. Isn't that interesting? You know, um, he says, I don't mind telling you the same story over and over and preach the same message to you. He says that is of beneficial benefit to you. And he says that a number of times in his letters to the church. He says, I'm gonna repeat what I've said to you. And repetition is good. And so we see that, that Paul really believed in that. He says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safe God for you. Watch out for those dogs. Now, I know that some of you are offended straight away at Paul. But in those days, dogs were scavenger hunters. And um, so uh, within your Bible, you can replace the word dog if you want to with rats. But I'm not sure whether that is a beloved pet today too. So I'm just gonna stay with dogs today. But watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. That's our theme. Glorying in the Lord Jesus. He says, I boast in the Lord Jesus. I just love that. Oh, I just love that when he picks up on it. He says, who boast in Jesus Christ and who puts no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And then he names the reasons why he could have confidence in the flesh. He says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, 
as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes. To know the power of his resurrection and participating in his suffering. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And then he makes this acknowledgement. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can you just breathe with me after that passage of Scripture? It's almost like, whoa, what a relief when you read this incredible exposition of Paul's life. And he tells us exactly who he was. He tells us exactly who he has become. And he also tells us what he wants to be in the future. And he makes some confessions here that is radical. And so if you had a look at these scripture verses, I think each and every one of us could look at this passage of scripture and choose a favorite phrase that would just stand out to you. And I must say, during the week, uh, well, last two weeks that I've looked at this passage of scripture, certain phrases stood out to me and then another phrase would, and then another phrase would, and then I want to go back to this one. And it is just so rich. It's just so powerful. And, you know, I kind of settled, you know, on huh, a number of phrases, but what I actually love is from verse 9 when he says, and he says, Be found in him, not having a righteousness, of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Doesn't that stand out to you? Because that to me is the key scripture. That is what he's addressing here. He's addressing that before he came to know the Lord Jesus, if anyone could get to heaven by being a good person, by doing good deeds, then it would be Paul, and that is what he's actually saying here. He says, if eternal life was possible through man's human achievement, he's saying, look at me, look at me. 
And that's the problem. That's where all other human religions have stemmed from, from men or women who say, look at me and then people follow them. And really, nothing changes from the inside out. Things change from the outside. You may dress differently. You may go to different places to go and worship, but nothing really changes from the inside. Paul says, in this passage of Scripture, that when I encountered the Lord Jesus, and in the book of Acts, he gives us a detailed account how Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus. And his name was Saul. And God revealed himself to him. And instantly, Saul knew that the righteousness that he was working towards, as the Bible says, was like filthy rags and stunk like filthy rags in the nostrils of God because no man can achieve the righteousness that God is looking for within us apart from the provision that he gave all mankind and that was through Jesus Christ. Wow. Remember, as a young boy in my life, that I encountered the Lord Jesus at a very, very young age. And so throughout the seasons of my life as a Christian, there were times, ignorantly, where I thought that, you know, I was doing pretty good. Just to again encounter passages like this, and I realized that even as a Christian, I would never be good enough to be righteous in his sight. It is only when his righteousness, and this is what Paul says, was miraculously transferred into his life that a change came about. And he no longer operates it is a righteousness that can be attained by trying to appease a system. But the righteousness that he is living out is a righteousness that is by faith in the Son of the living God. He is not saying that um, unrighteousness is right. Amen? He is saying the righteousness that is right is the one that you get from Jesus, not that you attain by your own self. So he is saying that whatever we as Christians can accomplish, he says as Christians it is because of him and not because of us. And that is our major theme again in the book of Philippians. We live for his praise and we live for his glory. Why? Because we have a righteousness that is not our own. It is that which he gave us. Does that make sense? If it does, we should say amen. That is what we glory in. That is why we come together like this. We don't come together to appease a holy God. I don't come to church every Sunday just so that God can be pleased with me. No, my friends, we come because he has made us righteous and that righteousness causes us to want to come to worship together. Amen? That is why there's a big difference. 
I love my wife not only because we entered into a contract which says you need to love your wife. I don't love Jeannie only because I promised her mother that I would love her and because I'm afraid of her mother, <laughs> which I am. It is because Christ has put a righteousness within me that when I disappoint Jen, it is not because I follow the contract or the covenant. It says, you do this, you do that, you do this. As a matter of fact, in the covenant that we've entered into, it, it, there's only one standard, and that standard is that I give 100% and Jenny gives 100%. Amen? It is not a 50-50 deal. Rubbish! That's what Paul says, I can use that word now, garbage. No, I give everything to my wife and when I disappoint her, it is because I disappoint my heavenly father and I do harm to his daughter. He says, she's daughter, I don't dare touch his daughter. She's special. You see, that is how the gospel radically changes us and we see things so differently. You know, and, and it's taken me 57 years to understand a little bit of it. I said, Lord, let me live another 57 years. Maybe I'll get it right. But this is the beauty of this passage. And so as Paul teaches this to the church at Philippi, and remember, he's teaching it to the church, not to an individual, but to the church. Whenever he says you, he means you all. Paul was American. And so he says to you all, you know, I write these things. Christianity is not an individual thing. It's a you all thing. Church is you all. Prayer meeting is you all. Fellowship is your, none excluded, all included. It's a beauty, beauty of the gospel. And so he comes and he addresses an issue here with the church at Philippi. And he says to us, we have this incredible righteousness that is from God. And he says, I'm gonna explain to you guys why my righteousness is as filthy rags before God. My attempt to appease a holy God. He says it's, 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 it's terrible. But what God has given to me is beautiful. That's why I live for his praise and for his glory. But he says there's a problem that's come in to the church here. And he says here in verse one, further my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord. And so that is key within this passage of scripture. He says, you know, uh, there are certain people who's gonna come into the church, in your community, in your relationships, that's gonna try and steal your joy. They're gonna say that you can work up your joy by doing certain things. He says, your joy comes from where? From the righteousness that comes from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the words Paul uses. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, firstly, there will be teachers who will come in. And they will teach that if you do this, if you do that, if you do this, if you do that, then you'll experience joy. My friends, what I've seen and what I've experienced is that 
all of the things that we try and do doesn't really bring joy. Amen? Just when I think I have this possession that I really wanted that's going to bring me great joy, and I get into that car, and I like motor cars. I like things with engines, but I don't like airplanes that much. You know, and, and just when I get it, I realize that it actually doesn't bring joy. Why? Because I belong to him. And only what brings me joy is what comes from him. Now, it's very clear, you know, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, God has given us all things to enjoy. So uh, a motor car is not a bad thing. A, a house is not a bad thing. A wife is a brilliant thing. He says, I give you all those things to enjoy. But he says that that's not there for you to get your joy from. Your joy comes from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says what can steal your joy is when you listen to teachers, when you listen to people who will teach something different that I'm teaching. And do you know what Paul does here? Put on your seatbelts. You'll be shocked. What does he call them? Rats. You love me now, Bobby? <laughs> he calls them dogs in the scripture here because you know, they were scavenger hunters. They would come when you don't look and they'll bite you and they'll, they'll just create havoc where they can. Uh, they, uh, they, uh, they just loose, they're out of control. He says, be very careful for those type of people. He says, when they come in, he says, I call them dogs. Listen to what he says here. In verse, so, so what he is saying here to them, look guys, I want you to be aware. You know, he says, um, you know, I write these things to you in verse one so that you could safeguard your faith. And I wanna say to us too today, Paul writes to us and he says, he wants us to learn to safeguard our faith. That means our faith can be under attack. And he says, you know, um, one of the things that we need to look out for, he says in verse two, he says, watch out for those dogs. So that's point number one, is just to beware. Beware. Just to beware. Watch out for those dogs and I've put in brackets, I really have, rats, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Be careful what you listen to during the week. Be careful of all of the podcasts that you listen to. Be careful of your favorite preachers. My friends, if you do not know something about your favorite preacher, who they are submitted to and what their lives are like, what they are is as important as what they preach. I don't let anybody preach up front here if I don't know their lives. Paul would have said the same thing. He would have said, beware 
what you listen to. Find out who they are. Find out what is in the, find out who they submit to. And he says, be very careful for those people. But of course, at Lyft, I don't need to labor this point. You guys know that, amen? Oh, two or three of you do. He says, to safeguard your faith, secondly, he says, what you need to do is to boast in the Lord Jesus and not in self. Listen to what he says in verses three to six. He says, for it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. Don't you love that? I mean, he's a fan of Jesus. He boasts in Christ Jesus. Do you know what, Philippe, you and I, we, we follow man united. And we're kind of fans of Man United, but at the moment, we wear our Man United shirts under another shirt. <laughs> Not sure whether Jenny will allow me to wear my Man United shirt publicly. Probably put a shirt over it. Ken can wear the Liverpool shirt now. Boast in it. He's a fan of Liverpool. My friends, if we could boast about the Lord Jesus like we boast about these worldly people, worldly teams, these worldly things, my friends, I think the gospel would be much further within this world. I believe that. And I love it when Paul says, he says, um, for it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who puts no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If anyone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law. And he says, I live my life faultless. I didn't commit any violations of the law. And then he says, you know, I'm faultless, even in case of the sin of omission. But he says he boasts in the Lord Jesus. What Paul does within this passage of Scripture too is that um, he points out three marks of people whose righteousness comes from Jesus in this verse. And let me just emphasize that because that is why he can boast in the Lord Jesus. He says, I'm not boasting, but I want you to look at these three marks that Paul puts down of a Christian. He says, the first mark of being a Christian it is those people who worship God in the spirit. That is what he says here. Did you read it there? So those who worship Jesus in the spirit. What does that mean? Some righteous says this. But the mark of the people of God is that something deep inside them 
wants to worship. They are worshiping in the spirit. It is not put on the outside, it is coming from the inside. The spirit is releasing them to tell how much God is worth to them. So they are people who are constantly telling God, you are great, you are marvelous, and extolling the mighty works of God. The first thing that happened on the day of Pentecost was not that they began evangelizing, it was that they began worshiping. Well done, ladies, on Friday night. Now, worshiping is not just what we do now, it is actually what we do every single day. But this is so important when we worship together. They extol the mighty acts of God in many languages on the day of Pentecost. This is the first mark of a person who belongs to God, and it is a mark in their spirit, not in their flesh. So that's why if you just come to church just because you want to earn brownie points with God, it doesn't count at all with him. When you're seeking for God, as some of you are, this is the best place to be because you will find him here because he's looking for you. Isn't that wonderful? Because he wants to reveal himself to you and then he will come and he'll transform you from the inside and there will be something that originate from the inside of you, that righteousness that Jesus puts inside of you that causes you to want to worship. Have I said that clear enough? Honestly, when I look back many years ago, when Jesus revealed himself to me, I think I was probably about nine years old. Something happened inside of me. And I remember in a place where a number of us grew up, Ken grew up in Springs. Who else grew up in Springs in the church? There's a few of us who grew up in a place called Springs. And I remember within that little place, I couldn't wait to go to different meetings just to worship Jesus at, at a young but it, it was something that God put within me because his righteousness became my own as a young little boy. And do you know what? Wherever I go, I want to worship God. When I walk around this beautiful place, there are times when I just catch myself wanting to worship God. And it's not because I want to earn points with him. It's because there is something that God put inside of me. It's the mark of a Christian. If you don't have that mark, maybe today, you want to say, Lord Jesus, would you put that type of righteousness within me? It's not that I want to earn a point with you, but I want to be able to worship you like that from the inside. The second mark of a Christian is that they're constantly talking about Jesus and they are proud to do it. They exalt Jesus, and they glory in him. The theme of Philippians, again, they glory in him. It's the mark of a Christian. If you don't like to glory in Jesus, if you don't like to talk about Jesus, I, I question whether you have a righteousness that comes from the inside. 
John calls it in John chapter 3, whether you have been born again of the Spirit, not of the flesh. Nicodemus approaching Jesus. And Nicodemus says, I've done all of these things. Jesus says, have you been born of the Spirit? Have you been born again? When that happens, your spirit is transformed. I want to ask you, are you changed from the inside out? Or have you been a part of a church group where they give you a brownie point when you do this, when you do that, when you do this, and you can only worship when you're within that atmosphere, when you have those outward symbols. You can only worship because the outward symbols are there. Chances are you haven't been born again then. If you can't walk around and talk about Jesus and to be proud to do so and to exalt in him and to glory in him, I wonder, I can't judge you, but I wonder whether you've been born again. The third mark is equally clear. They do not have any confidence in the flesh. And I think this one we learn to deal with. We've got to deal with the flesh for as long as we're going to be alive. And I I think you can stand with me on that one. Just when I think I'm becoming great is when I put confidence in the flesh. And I need to just get before God and say, you know what, Lord, there is nothing good about me. The righteousness that's within me is because of you. And so the third mark is equally clear. They do not have any confidence in the flesh. Christians have a tremendous confidence in God and in Jesus, but none in themselves. I think we have confused that point where the self-help preachers and prophets have taught us that if you're good at this, if you're good at that, if you're good at this, God has given that to you, and it is true. But the moment when you put confidence in your talents, and it's not really in Jesus, you're missing the mark. There's a subtle difference. You've got to find out what that difference is. So my friends, how do you safeguard your faith? Be aware. Secondly, boast in the Lord Jesus and not in yourself. And I'm going to close with this, but you note here that Paul does what preachers do within this passage of Scripture too. He says, you know, I'm going to close now finally, and then he goes on for another half an hour. (laughs) So I feel really right at home here. First, Paul repeats himself over and over again. He says, I'm not embarrassed to do that. And secondly, he says, finally, and then he goes on for another half an hour. So finally, I'd like to read what one New Testament scholar explains to us about Paul when he says, you know, I I put no confidence in the flesh. And when he puts down on his naughty badge what he's accomplished, he says, if ever there was a Jew who was steeped in Judaism, that Jew was Paul. He was circumcised on the eighth day. That's very important. Some Jews got circumcised when they were 13. But they were kind of like the Jews of a lower grade. Whereas Paul was of the Jews. Jewish 
tribe and he came from the group where he was circumcised on the eighth day. So he says, I'm something special in the flesh. He says, he was circumcised on the eighth day. That is to say, he bore in the body the badge and the mark that he was one of the chosen people marked out by God as his own. He was of the race of Israel, that is to say he was a member of the nation who stood in a covenant relationship with God, a relationship in which no other people stood. And he said, I was really special. And then he says he was of the tribe of Benjamin. This is a claim which Paul reiterates in Romans chapter 11 verse 1. What is the point? The point is that being from the tribe of Benjamin, he had a unique place in the history of Israel. So he was even more special than some of the other Israelites. He says, Benjamin was the only one of the patriarchs who had actually been born in the land of promise. When Israel went into battle, it was the tribe of Benjamin which held the post of honor. And then also the first king of Israel came from the little tribe. And who was the first king of Israel? Saul. And that is where Paul got his name from, Saul. He says, I was very, very special. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, that was, he was one of these Jews of the dispersion. And so he goes on and on and on, and he lists all of his accomplishments. But the conclusion that he came to was that he needed a righteousness that was by faith in the Lord Jesus.